The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Time once again to wrap up the week here on Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris. Spelled that same way on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Give me a follow if you haven't already. I'm guessing most of you have here as we continue our weird romp through the nebulous outer reaches of the quarantine era. Sports in general. It's a weird time. Remains a very weird time. Uh, Shout out to Greg Mraz, who posted a Hoop Ball Bulls podcast earlier today. So check that out. This is, of course, the uh, Friday edition of the show. This will also carry us through the weekend. It's April 24th. NBA has been shut down since March 11th. We've been in lockdown here in California since March 19th. That's over five weeks, and it feels every bit of it. Over at Hoopball, Eric Ong breaking down the Pelicans. Pretty cool feature going on there. Steve Vidovich has the Kings in his sights. Mike Passador broke down Marvin Bagley's season. So there continues to be pretty good stuff. Nemanja Bialica got profiled. We're getting little rumors. I mean, there really isn't much in the way of news right now. We're going to be breaking down the Pelicans, actually, on today's podcast in just a few minutes. So figured that would be an interesting segue. Uh, Teron Liu, Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy apparently are on the list for the New (laughs) Jersey. See what happened there? The Brooklyn Nets. They're in Brooklyn, guys. Sorry, I'm an old man. It happens. Tom Thibodeau is apparently on the list of potential Knicks coaching candidates, but again, we got a long way to go on that stuff, so I have no additional thoughts on those coaching searches. I find some of it funny, but again, we're so early in the process that you you don't really know what's real and what's not. Agents put out things, teams put out things, There's, this is all jockeying, leverage is involved, Assistant coaches like to have their names on the list for coaching jobs because then it makes other teams think about them for head coaching jobs. There's a whole, there's a rhyme and a reason to all of this. Everybody, you want to be on some lists so that you become more desirable on other lists. So we don't really know what of this is actually legitimate. Although I venture to guess that a couple of those names make some sense. We've got time. We've got time. We have, uh, unfortunately, plenty of it. We're touring the Southwest Division right now in our whatever you want to call it. Normally, we'd call it post- post-mortem, which, you know, after the season is over. But the season is in between right now. Possibly over. Possibly not. Maybe regular season. Maybe playoffs. Who the hell knows? But we'll just keep plugging along here, going through teams one by one. And Monday's shows, of course, right now, at least for uh, the this most recent Monday, and then four additional ones will be breaking down the two most recent episodes of The Last Dance, Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls documentary on ESPN, as well as going through some of the biggest lessons learned from a season gone by, as opposed to what we're doing during these individual shows, 
where we are largely focused on lessons you can take away from that team, that specific team. We did the Dallas Mavericks, we did the Houston Rockets, we did the San Antonio Spurs in uh, not that order earlier this week. We got to go backwards chronologically, but I guess it was Mavs, Spurs, Rockets going backwards towards Tuesday. So today, we will leave Texas, and that gave us two choices. We could either do Memphis or New Orleans, and I thought, you know what, for a weekend show that's going to be drifting across the podcast landscape for a few days, let's do a fun one. Let's do the Pels, because they were a weird bucket of statistics a weird bucket of some misses and some hits, and a team that sat eight games under 500 at the time of league suspension, uh, tied in overall numbers with the Portland Trailblazers, although they had played two fewer games, and three and a half games back of the Memphis Grizzlies, who continued to hold on to the eight seed, despite everybody claiming that they would have lost it by now. Not yet. Of course, the Pell season, and, you know, again, most of this, these breakdowns, we've been going from the top down, but I believe the Pelicans are another example of a team where you can't really go from the top down. You kind of have to almost go from the bottom up. Pelicans had seven players inside the top 150 this year. That's the good. The guys outside of that grouping, we're not really going to touch upon. Jackson Hayes, Nicolo Melli, Kenrich Williams, Kenny Hustle, they call him. Each one more, Jaleel Okafor, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Frank Jackson, and then some G-leaguers that briefly appeared in NBA games. Those guys, they're not going to get our attention. Now, to be fair, each one more, Melly, Hayes, those guys all played 50 or more games this year. Frank Jackson actually did, too. And there were stretches where Hayes was not horrible. Not good, but not horrible. Unfortunately, on the Jackson-Hayes front, even if Derek Favors isn't in the way, the Pelicans are more than happy to slide Zion over and have him play the five. So there really isn't much of a path for him at this exact moment. Now, is that the case forever? Well, there are, there are, there are a few ways to look at the center position in New Orleans. That's where we're going to start here because we'll kind of circle around the different players on the team. We're not going to go this through this in, in a kind of traditional fashion. Hayes will be 20 in about a month from today. I think just one day less. Yeah, May 23rd, 2000. Dude was born this millennium. That freaks me out. He was the eighth pick in the draft this most recent year, so uh, certainly a very young guy. Averaged 17 minutes a game this season with New Orleans. Those numbers were trending down as the season went on, largely because Zion Williamson came back and took whatever additional center minutes were floating around. There were plenty of games in there where Derek Favors was hurt and Jackson Hayes was getting to log more significant minutes. And in those games, he was touching on top 100 value. He certainly wasn't locked into it. But, you know, there were games where, you know, you could see he played 32 minutes against Golden State back in... November 17th, he had a double-double with three blocks. 30 minutes in Utah, 13-5 and five with a block. There is a 33-minute game against Phoenix where he had 17 points, five boards, and five blocks. So those are the ones you're looking for here, where he's getting this sort of traditional full bucket of center minutes. 
in the games where those numbers were lower, and I know I said I wasn't going to talk much about Jackson Hayes, but I figured once we got going on it, people were going to be asking about him. In the games where he was a little bit more borderline on the minute total, meaning he was more in that 20 to 24 range, it generally wasn't enough. It generally wasn't enough because there are simply, there are countless, really, on that New Orleans team, guys that are in front of him for actual touches. Now, Derek Favors' contract is up at the end of this season, and I, I would doubt that the Pelicans are bringing him back, but who knows? Maybe they do. It would certainly be for a lot less money than, than almost $18 million. What he did for that team, here's the other aspect of it. Derek Favors, by the way, finished at number 87 in an up-and-down year that saw him injured for stretches. They, they overplayed him for stretches that resulted in him getting hurt. And his, his value was tied largely to, to how many minutes he was getting. When he was getting 30-plus minutes a game, he was a top 50 guy, but he was breaking down every three or four nights. Lately, Favors was more of a 24-ish minutes guy, and in those contests, he was hanging around just barely inside the top 100, but he was actually playing. So you, you know, there's the give and take there. Do you, would you rather him be number 90 playing every game, or would you rather him be number 50 and play two out of every three ball games? It's, it's again, as we've talked about so many times, and I don't want to venture too deep into this same discussion over and over again, it's, it's situation dependent. League settings playing a, a very large role in what you wanted to get out of favors. Now, overall this year, he ended up being, I would venture to say, a bit of a disappointment. The 45 games played being the largest reason why. The 9 points, 10 rebounds, a block on 62% from the field, all of that seemed totally fine. That's what kept him in that top 90 range. Low turnovers, bad free throw shooter, but at least he wasn't getting to the line at all. For a guy that was already relatively low usage, it actually took a hit on a team that had guys like Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, Zion once he came back, chucking. Those guys were firing like crazy. Not Phoenix-level chucking, because at least there was some ball movement on this team. But those guys were taking all of the usage, and that left nothing for guys like Derek Favors, who were expected to get their offense via putbacks, screen setting, and that type of deal that was the agreement he was I would say in general a bit overdrafted um, but also bounced around a ton meaning we tracked Derek Favors through the offseason where he was going in mock drafts and there was a stretch early in the offseason where he was getting drafted in the 40s and then he tumbled down towards 100 when, you know, we, people were talking about Zion playing full-time center and Favors being dinged up and looking old and slow. And then ultimately, he ended up getting drafted more in that 70 range in a lot of leagues. I ended up with Derek Favors in one particular league, and it was largely because he fell to like 95. And I thought, all right, well, you know, whatever. We hit whatever category with favors, and I thought, okay, like there's almost no way he does worse than this. And then, you know, lo and behold, he was basically right around that mark on a per game and then missed a bunch of time. So he ended up being someone that you really didn't want to draft. There was this, there was this feel about him that if he came into New Orleans in a stat factory, 
even 25 minutes would have been enough. But, and this is where I made a mistake as well. I figured if he got anything over that, it would be gravy. The issue that crept up with favors was that, you know, I didn't foresee there being five guys on the Pelicans averaging 10 shots or more a game, leaving just seven a game for favors. I figured, you know, eight or nine shots for him is is a pretty doable number, even in 25, 26 minutes a night. The injuries were a big deal. If he was healthy more early in the season, you would have seen a much better full season ranking for him. He kind of missed the window to crush it while Zion was out. Once Zion came back later in the season, that's when Favors was actually healthy. And so Zion, who played 19 games, Favors played pretty much all 19 of those. Basically, there was an opportunity here for Favors to play some 40 games without Zion, and instead, he really only got about 25 without him. you got to run up the numbers when you have your opportunity. And I know what you're thinking. That's no reason to draft a guy. And you're absolutely right in general. You shouldn't draft a guy when there's someone kind of breathing down his neck to knock his playing time down by seven or eight minutes a night. Yeah, that's a, that's a scary proposition. Um, especially when the, the initial report was that they expected Zion back by, you know, I think it was December was the initial ruling, and obviously that didn't take shape. So you were looking at maybe two months of maximum favors and then a little bit of a peel-off there. You didn't quite get that much of him, even though Zion came back so much later than expected. So by all accounts, Favors was a disappointment this year. That said, if you were in a games cap format, he really didn't hurt you that much. You know, posting top 90 value from a center position, helping you in field goal percent, helping you in rebounding, not giving you a little baby push in blocks with one a game. Certainly we were hoping for a little bit more than that, but that's what you got. And then the other stuff was meh. So it was a very meh year for Derek Favors. I love his fantasy game in general. I hate the fact that he does have injury things. And the question is, where is he going to end up next year? Because if he's back with New Orleans playing 24 minutes as the sixth or seventh option on offense, then you're looking at probably the same kind of top 100, maybe a hair above that, depending on how the pieces settle together. Or... Maybe he goes to some team that wants a lumbering ox to give 27 or 28 minutes to a game. It's just hard to see that type of scenario in the modern NBA. So this is a guy who's likely trending down. He is an old man. He fits the old man build of being likely, I would say, next year. He's almost definitely going to be underrated coming into NBA drafts, which he could actually be a combination of both underrated and also not that interesting. Uh, but depending on how far he falls, you have to remember again, if this guy falls into the one thirties where he's getting drafted ultra late folks, not assuming he's going to get more than 24 minutes a game. He can still post that top 90 mark in 24 minutes a game. That's a guy you'd want to get in your 12th, 13th round. If he falls that far, if big, if let's talk about the other big man on new Orleans and that's Zion. What a weird year that was. Zion finished at number 149 in nine category leagues for two critical reasons and then a couple of additional smaller ones. Let's start with the good. Dude averaged 24 points a game, set a rookie record for games over 20 points in a row. Uh, seven rebounds a night was not bad. 
and field goal percent, pretty high volume of 59% was generally helping teams. Unfortunately, Zion does not shoot the three at all. He had a bunch of them in that very first trip and then basically nothing the rest of the way. Steals and blocks were pretty low. One would assume those do come up a little bit as you sort of compare and contrast to his college game and what he can do athletically. And then the free throw was was soul-crushing. I had zero Zions on my teams because I simply wasn't willing to, to pony up a third-round pick for a guy that had never played a basketball game before, and I feel quite good about that decision in retrospect. This is what we talk about, by the way. Listen, if I'm going to beat myself up, and honestly, I didn't get that many Derek favors because he did end up going earlier than I thought he would. I figured, again, if he fell into the 80s and 90s, then he would be a pretty good value. He wasn't, so I was wrong about that. But that was certainly closer, and that's where he was on a per-game ranking. So that was that was like 90, that was like an 80% miss on my part. But 20%, at least I got the per-game mark right. Zion was pretty much one we got completely right. He was out of shape. We saw it in Summer League where he just has a weird frame and didn't know if his body could handle it. I wasn't even avoiding him because of injury risk, but obviously that crept up early. I was avoiding him because I thought, this dude is getting way overhyped. Rookies getting drafted in the, in the 20s and 30s almost never pan out. Almost never. And especially guys that have a track record, even if it's a short one, of categories where they're just not good. And then for Zion, eight free throws a game at 64.5%. That ultimately made him one of the worst impact guys in free throw percent in the NBA. It's real hard to overcome that. Ask Andre Drummond, who has to get like three defensive stats a night to push his way back up into fantasy good graces and some, you know, 16, 17 rebounds. With Zion, it was really only scoring in field goal percent. Rebounds was fine, but unspectacular for someone of his strength and ability. Scoring was good. Field goal percent was good. Free throw percent was atrocious. Turnovers, blocks, steals, assists, all not good. And then rebounds, fine. Oh, three-pointers were bad, too. Problem with Zion, of course, is when you hear me describing a player that underperformed in so many statistical categories, the first thought I usually have is, how, ooh, how far is this guy going to fall next year, and can I scoop him there? I don't think that's going to happen with Zion. I think his name is so big, and the hope of him making a giant step forward is also so big that he's probably still going to get drafted incredibly early. I'll say this, I'm more likely to take a chance on him here in Season 2 than I was in Season 1 because the buzz is going to be a little bit going back the other direction, but coming back and scoring as many points as he did, he's got people's attention. He's not going away. It's not like Zion Williamson is going to fall in fantasy drafts. The rest of these players, there are, I think, larger question marks hanging around them. Uh, we'll start with the easiest couple of the bunch, J.J. Redick who was number 131 this year in 54 ball games, averaged 15 points and three three-pointers, did zero defensively. 0.6 combined defensive stats. That is among the bottom five in the NBA, at least of basically qualifying guys, dudes that are playing half-decent numbers of minutes. 45% from the field, 90% at the free-throw line. That's the good. Uh, the bad, of course, 2.6 rebounds just to assist. The, the, the poor 
Defensive stats, we already mentioned. There's just not enough there. Honest to God, I thought him signing that contract in New Orleans, they they must have been promising him something, or so I believed. As it turned out, nah, not really. I mean, he played an okay number of minutes, but it's just, uh, again, it's got to be a bigger role. When your job is scoring three-pointers and free-throw percent, you need to have some usage. And he had some, but not enough. He signed for $13 million next year, so unless they move him, you're looking at the relatively similar outlook. And as I said at least 30 or 40 times on these podcasts during the regular season, when J.J. Redick, Josh Hart were both healthy, and when the main guys were healthy, meaning Ingram, Holiday, Ball, those are the key ones. Williamson, a more front-court guy, but you can lump him in as well. When all of those guys are healthy... Neither Reddick nor Hart was doing enough on the fantasy side to hold value. Josh Hart played 57 ball games. That was actually the most on the team on a banged-up New Orleans squad. He was number 118 overall per game rate. 10 points, 6.5 rebounds. That's a very big number for a shooting guard. A steal, uh, half a block, poor field goal percent, not a great free throw percent, two three-pointers a game. Hart was able to float his value with rebounding. That was something that was going to get more and more sparse as the team got healthier and his minutes came down, and I see no reason to draft him next year. He was a plotter, but as was the case with so many of the guys on this New Orleans team, if you could plug them in when other guys were out, that's where you had the opportunity. If you wanted to use J.J. Redick, you pretty much needed Brandon Ingram to be out. You needed those 18 shots distributed among the other guys. If you wanted to use Josh Hart, you basically needed J.J. Redick to be out for most of the season. And it just wasn't the case. Or, of course, one of the big usage guys. What about those big usage guys? Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram. We already talked about Zion. Lonzo Ball ultimately had a really, really good season. He started out slow, finished at number 70 on a per-game basis, But over the final 25 games he played this year, he was a top 25 player. On the shoulders of 12.7 points, almost three three three-pointers, seven rebounds, eight and a half assists, 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks, and he managed to shoot 43% over that stretch. Still can't hit a free throw to save his life, but at least he doesn't take any. Lonzo Ball, I think, is another guy where if you ask the average fantasy enthusiast, and you saw his full season marking of number 70, 12 and a half, 6 and 7, with a poor field goal percent. I don't know how many people realized how well he was playing when the season got shut down. Lonzo Ball was, at that point, putting up maybe the best stretch of basketball in his career. In fact, the final three weeks before the NBA shut down, Ball averaged 15, 7, and 8 with three defensive stats, three three three-pointers, 47.5% from the field. And he was the top guy on that New Orleans roster. So he certainly has the upside to be better than number 70 or wherever the hell he went. I would actually feel relatively comfortable taking Lonzo inside the top 50 next year. There's a lot of upside with him that is starting to get tapped into. And I don't see that job disappearing for Alonzo because these big numbers he was putting up, the team was largely healthy. 
Drew Holiday was playing his 36 and a half minutes a game. Ingram 35, Zion 32, Favors 26, and Lonzo Ball 35. They went pretty heavy on the starting lineup. Not much J.J. Redick. He was hurt a little bit. Not much Josh Hart, but who cares? I think Lonzo Ball could actually be one of the steals of the draft next year. We'll keep a close, close, close watch on where he gets drafted because he's been generally overdrafted throughout his youthful NBA career despite the fact that he's been mostly getting clowned. He went at number 87 this season, and even that, I was afraid to take him there because I didn't know if he was going to get to play. And the team had Drew Holiday running the point for large stretches over the last couple of years, but they found a way to work him in. Lonzo got into a really nice groove late in the year, ended up as as a value. He hit. He was a draft day hit. So congratulations if you took the chance on Lonzo. And I think he could be a draft day hit again next year. I don't think people realized how good he got when this team was all together. And congratulations are in order if you took Brandon Ingram this year, who ended up in a very juicy spot. Yes, he did take a pretty sizable hit when Williamson returned and took a bunch of shots away from him. Ingram posting numbers closer to the top 100 over the last few weeks and more like top 65 with Zion back in the lineup. But he fixed a lot of parts of his fantasy game all at the same time. And that, he ended up at number 29 on a per-game basis, played in 56 of New Orleans games this year. That's coming down from his season high mark where he was sitting basically just outside the edge of the first round, kind of uh, right behind the turn. And yes, a lot of the stuff that he was doing early in the season did kind of come apart on him later in the year. The steals were a little bit lower late in the year. The blocks were a little lower. The volume was a little lower. The field goal percent was a little lower. But we're, we're really picking him apart unnecessarily at this point. This is a guy who did... Screw it. I'm going to call it the unthinkable. He did the unthinkable. How often do you see a guy who had the fantasy issues that Brandon Ingram had had in the past make that kind of jump? This is a dude who's drafted around the edge of the top 100. His ADP was 99 coming into this season. This is a guy who last year in Los Angeles... Had a good field goal percent, but was shooting 68% at the free throw line on high volume, was hitting .6 three-pointers a game, was averaging 1.1 combined defensive stats in 34 minutes a night, three assists in 34 minutes a night, and then all of a sudden this year, and the, the main things I really want to focus on are the defensive stats, namely steals, and the three-pointers, Because you can explain the other stuff away a little bit with other techniques. So, the scoring way up, that's a volume thing. His usage was much higher this year. The three-pointers, he quadrupled how many he was making season over season. From .6 to 2.4. His free throw percent went from 68 to 86. And his steals 
went from half a steal to one full steal. He doubled his steal rate. He quadrupled his three-point shooting. And he increased his free throw percent by almost 30%. More, sorry, more than 30%. That is unheard of. To take a guy who was nuzzling up against the edge of the top 100 when he was having large usage stretches because he could score and rebound and pass and get you field goal percent, but the other stuff was so brutal that he was killing you in turnovers and steals and threes and free throw percent, and you're like, okay, we've had this discussion before. This discussion is, what does this fantasy player need to do to make that next step? What does he need to do to get to the draft position where people keep telling me to take him? They're like, take him in the 75 range. Take him in the set. Okay. My thought was, all right, well, he could either fix his three-point shot, he could fix his free throw shooting, or he could get some steals. He's a, he's a freaking pterodactyl out there. How was he not able to get any steals the first three seasons of his NBA career? It didn't make any sense. Not only did he fix his three-point shooting, not only did he fix the steal rate, he absolutely dominated free throw percent. He fixed all three of his problems, and that's how you go from being a top 125 guy to a top 25 guy. Yes, again, the volume did come down when Zion came back. Those guys were trying to figure out how to play together, and that was a thing that was, you know, worth watching. He was taking 17 and change shots late in the year. His field goal percent was down because he wasn't getting to the same spots he was getting earlier. That's the type of stuff that you figure equilibrates a little bit over time. I have no doubt in my mind he's going to get overdrafted next year. After a giant season, everybody remembers the good stuff. Nobody really remembers the bad. He's going to get overdrafted, and he was getting wedged out a little bit. Not in a huge way. You know, 18 shots a game for the year, so he was something like 18 to 19 before Zion, and he was more like 17 and change after. So it's not a massive jump there, a massive difference. The big difference was that he just wasn't hitting his shots. There was congestion where there wasn't congestion before. Guys were figuring out how to play with one another. Now, maybe they fix that quickly, and maybe Ingram gets this stuff all resorted. But as we said before, said it on Monday this week, the biggest first lesson of the year was usage generally equals value. And while he'll still be good, he just won't. He just won't have the usage he had when Zion was out. And such is the case for Drew Holiday as well, who finished at number 37 on the year. Number 37 on the year. This is a guy who was getting drafted very early, way too early. You guys remember he was his ADP was 18, but I saw him getting drafted as early as the turn in some spots. He was getting taken at 10 or 11 over some of those end-of-the-first-round type guys. People had very high hopes for Drew Holiday, and they were not really delivered upon. Things that happened to Drew Holiday this season, his field goal attempts went down, his free throw attempts went down, his assists went down, his rebounding stayed the same, his scoring went down, three-pointers went up a tiny bit, for whatever that's worth, free throw percent was back down at 70, that's career low for him, the block stayed exactly the same. And this was another case where usage equals value. I think there was a hope that with Anthony Davis leaving, 
that Drew Holiday would just have sole custody of this basketball team, and it simply didn't pan out that way. Early in the year, he was being extremely passive, letting Brandon Ingram get comfortable, helping Lonzo Ball get integrated with the with the roster. At certain points during the year, he did decide to kind of turn it on for stretches, and those big games from Drew were enormous basketball games. I mean, there are a few guys that can post the well-rounded stuff quite like he can. All that to say, you guys know where I'm going with this, I think he goes back to being a value next year. I think people were generally pretty irritated with his fantasy season. They drafted him at 17 or 18. He ended up as someone that didn't even make the top three rounds in his per-game numbers. No one on the Pelicans was particularly durable. Holiday played in 55 games this year, which was pretty close to the league average at this exact exact juncture of the season, but it's not like he was blowing people away with his durability. So I'm thinking, and, and this is kind of the game you play when you're figuring out what you think a guy's ADP might actually be the following season. The game you play is what kind of a taste did a particular player leave in the league's mouth? The fantasy landscape league, not the, not the regular NBA, because everybody knows Drew Holiday is great. We're all, we all watch enough basketball to know that he's an amazing basketball player. I'm talking about fantasy. And when a guy drafts someone in the second round, early second round, or even late first, and they perform like an early fourth rounder, not even that durable in the process, I think most people were aware that Drew Holiday wasn't having that great of a fantasy season. I also think that even if he doesn't get any better next year, this is someone who's probably going to get drafted much closer to where he finished this season. I think you see him slide back to where he was a season or two earlier, where he's getting drafted in the 30s. And honest to goodness, I know, as I just mentioned, he he, he finished at 37, but I would consider taking him a few slots earlier than that because I don't know how he finishes much behind 37. Free throw percent was a career low. Some of that is just mental stuff. I mean, there's a very real chance that that bounces back to 75 or 76 next year, or who the hell knows, maybe even better. Field goal percent, that could potentially come up season over season, and then the other stuff shouldn't change that much because he's going to continue to be a high-usage guy on this team. Even with Zion around, his job is pretty secure. So I think Drew Holiday could be an interesting, and I don't know if he's going to be a great value play, but I think he could end up being kind of a best for safe play in the first, like in the third round. I don't think I'd take him at 25 if you had the first pick of the third round, but I certainly think I would take him by the middle of the third, around 30 to 33 range. Brandon Ingram, I'm not taking anywhere inside the top 40 or 50, so I don't think I'm going to get him. Lonzo Ball, as we just mentioned, I think I would take inside the top 50. He looks like he's prime now. Derek Favors, we got to wait to see where he signs. And then Zion, I don't know that I'm touching him. I think he continues to go too early, even though he ended up having a pretty disappointing fantasy season. Lesson to be learned from all this is our lesson from Monday. Usage equals value. This is a team where the fantasy community was working some pretty serious mental gymnastics to convince ourselves that there was enough to go around. And to some degree, there was, because Ingram had a great season, and Lonzo Ball beat his ADP, 
But Zion also missed almost the entire year. So that had a pretty significant impact on the other stuff there. Drew Holiday had to give up a bit to get to that point. Derek Favors was in and out of the lineup. Hart and Redick uh, had brief stretches where they were valuable enough to start, but for the most part, they were outside the rosterable bubble. And so you ended up with a team that spread the wealth around a bit more than they had when it was basically just Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and then peripheral pieces. Now it's a bunch of guys that feel like they have equal claim to the throne in New Orleans, and so that means that none of those guys has the world's easiest path. As I mentioned, there was still plenty to be happy about. Lonzo Ball's big season, Brandon Ingram's big season being the two uh, easiest things to benchmark. But again, I think people view those years pretty differently. I think people view Brandon Ingram's season as a whopping success. I think people view Lonzo's season less as a success because he's just not a big scoring type. And so people remember the slow start to the year for Lonzo. He was outside the top 100 for two months this season before getting it rolling. Meanwhile, Brandon Ingram was top 15 for three months before having Zion chew away at his stuff. And then Drew Holiday was just sort of consistently in that 30 to 40 range pretty much all season long. So I think the taste in your mouth is the rule to use with this team and the lesson to take away, and maybe that's the one we even talk about on Monday. We'll call it the mouth mouthfeel. <laughs> this is fantasy mouthfeel. Brandon Ingram, what was his mouth feel? I think people feel good about Brandon Ingram's year. Drew Holiday, I think people feel annoyed. Lonzo Ball, I think people forgot about it. Derek Favors, I think people felt annoyed, but again, we don't know where he's going to be. And then Zion, I think people felt mm, incomplete. I think people felt like there was more business to attend to. And so I don't think there was enough there for people to downgrade him in their minds, at least not enough for us here in this podcast community to end up with him on our rosters. Okay, that was fun. Monday, we'll break down episodes three and four of The Last Dance. We'll talk about fantasy mega uh, lesson number two, and it might actually be the mouthfeel episode. Gross. I'm Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. This is a hoopball presentation. It's Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great weekend, everybody. Continue to find things to do. Hit me up if you want to talk about anything at all. Hit me up if you want to make some calls with us over here at Hoopball. Again, we are bringing on salespeople. What better time to do it than now? What the hell else you got going on? I mean, unless you're taking care of a toddler. Good Lord. Then we literally have no time at all. All right, folks, I'll talk to you Monday. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.